So um, Inez spoke really beautifully yesterday about uh, confidence and wisdom. And today uh, I'll be talking about another uh, pair of these faculties, about effort or energy and samadhi, what we usually translate as concentration, composure, unification of mind. And I'm sure that we can all see that each one of these five faculties, confidence, energy, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom, that each one of them is uh, really useful to cultivate <clears throat> on its own in our practice. And there's also there's a logic to uh, cultivating them in sequence as well. The first faith or confidence that it helps us in uh, cultivating energy. When we trust that something is worth doing, that's when, we, when we're willing to put effort into it. And then next, we need to make effort in order to, uh, to be mindful, in order to keep our attention steady on what's arising in our experience. And then as steady mindfulness uh, develops, it helps in cultivating concentration, samadhi, this unification and composure of mind. And the steadiness and stability of samadhi, that helps us to see clearly. So wisdom can arise in a mind that's like that, that's steady and composed. So it makes sense to cultivate these uh, in sequence. Um, Each one is really valuable within itself. And then they build upon each other. One conditions the arising of the next. And we can also talk about them in, uh, in terms of the balance between them. Inez talked yesterday about uh, the balance of confidence or faith and wisdom or discernment. Too much confidence and we can get off track. We can put our trust in something that isn't really going to be helpful to us. And sometimes when uh, discernment, on the other hand, is overbalanced, we can focus too much on intellectual understanding and become proud of what we know, kind of rigid in our views, and then ignore developing uh, our practice and our hearts. When we talk about the need for balance uh, really often in our Dharma practice, our meditation practice, there's a balance of alertness and ease that we always encourage in the sitting practice, and a balance of mental alertness and receptivity in the way we pay attention in our meditation as well. There are many areas in the Dharma where this kind of energetic balance is useful, it's essential even. And this list of the five faculties is uh, is one of those. So this afternoon I'll talk about balancing uh, virya, the word in Pali that we translate as energy, as effort, sometimes as diligence. We'll, I'll talk about balancing that with concentration or composure of mind, samadhi in Pali. And both of these are really essential in our practice. Keeping them in balance is a skill that I think, uh, I think we keep working with this skill for as long as we're practicing. We just keep making adjustments, sometimes big adjustments, sometimes minor adjustments. It's like when we find ourselves slumping in our sitting practice, we can gently sit up straighter, but without getting rigid, without getting tight. And when we start to get sleepy in practice, you know, we can bring in energy, maybe opening our eyes or standing up. 
when our minds are busy and agitated, we have more tools. We have tools to bring calm, to bring more stability. And I'll be talking about some of these tools in this talk. And as we continue to practice regularly, we develop more sensitivity through our mindfulness to when there's an imbalance. And, uh, and we can use our tools to strengthen or ease up on one or the other. But before talking about how to balance these, uh, these, these faculties, <clears throat> excuse me, it's good to be really familiar with them individually. So energy, effort, virya. I like that word, virya. It has strength in it. It's as important in our Dharma practice as it is in our daily life. You know, it's the quality that keeps us going, even when things seem to be going nowhere, which sometimes happens. Stick to itiveness, I think of as a, that's an English expression that, that uh, kind of captures it well, I think. And this word, Virya, it's also related to, uh, to courage, points to courage. So, and sometimes we need to make courageous effort in our practice. You know how in, uh, in Buddhism, in the Buddhist texts, there are so many lists. There's, there are three of this and four of these and six of those. And I used to wonder, what's with all the lists, you know? But now I just, I actually love them. <laughs> they kind of, they fit together like a jigsaw puzzle. And, and when you begin to see the ways that they fit together, you know, it all makes sense. It's really, it's, it's so beautiful. It's really beautiful. And the Buddha described seven of these many, many lists as essential to awakening. And the five spiritual faculties is one of those seven and this particular quality, this virya, energy, effort, diligence, it appears not just in this list of uh, the faculties, but in six of the seven lists that the Buddha said were essential to coming to awakening. Hope that's not too many numbers, but I'm really impressed by that. <laughs> I think anyone who's practiced meditation for any length of time can see the value of this capacity that we have to keep going, to not give up. Something that we're familiar with, I think, right from the very first time we practice is this need to bring our attention back to our meditation object, to the breath or whatever it is that we're attending to, to bring it back again and again and again. And each time takes a little bit of virya a little bit of effort, of energy. Ajahn Chah, the, the well-known Thai teacher of the last century, teacher of many of our teachers, and um, Inez uh, quoted a little poem of his the other night that's, uh, that's on a handout for you to, to, to read. Um, Ajahn Chah said once that uh, he estimated that 70% of our practice of mindfulness consists of just this coming back coming back again and again. And that's the way that we develop um, continuity of mindfulness in our practice, by making the effort to, uh, to come back again and again. We train the mind to stay, to stay by using effort. Sometimes we use the analogy of training a puppy. I like that one. The mind, you know, the mind is often uh, compared to... Uh, a monkey, 
Um, but it's also, I think, like a puppy. You know, it scampers around. It kind of follows its nose. Sometimes it gets into trouble. Um, and so we keep training it to stay, to stay. And in the same way, we do that with our mind. And this, we stick to it. We don't give up. We try to stay. <clears throat> Shin Zen Yang, who's a, um, he's a well-known Dharma teacher. Probably many of you know him, know his name. Um, he once commented that a, a good meditation um, sometimes means that uh, we just managed to stay on the cushion until the bell rang. You know, sometimes it's just that effort. That's, that's, that's all we've got. And I've had sits like that. I know what got me through them. You know, what got me through them? It's that sense of, okay, I'm going to stay here. That virya, that effort, energy. <clears throat> there are, um, sick here. There are two important uh, mental factors in our practice that are ways that we uh, make effort. The Pali words for them are vitaka and vichara. I'm sure some of you have heard these words many times before. A simple way of uh, defining vitaka is to call it connecting. And vichara, sustaining. So in breath meditation, for example, we connect our attention with the beginning of the in-breath, and then we sustain that attention through its whole length. Then we connect our attention with the beginning of the out-breath, and then we sustain it through the entire out-breath. We're making effort to connect and sustain our attention over and over. When you're paddling a canoe, you know, you put the canoe in the water, you connect with the water, and then you make a long stroke to propel it forward, sustaining the effort. You do it again and again, and that's what we do in our practice. If you've been on retreat before, you know, um, we're always talking about uh, continuity of mindfulness, developing continuity of mindfulness. We make the effort to stay connected to our experience both during the formal periods and also during all the other times. Taking an informal walk, you know, when we're cooking and when we're eating, even when we're taking a shower, whatever we're doing, it's all included. And all of that takes effort. And this connecting and sustaining is really, it's very integral to that effort. It's really helpful. And energy builds as we repeatedly make effort, energy builds within us. It's like it kind of recharges our batteries to make effort. And then um, as our practice deepens, we need less and less effort in order to uh, stay connected. Sometimes staying connected becomes completely effortless. And that's a sign that uh, the other faculty that I'll talk about, samadhi, our concentration is, is getting strong. Our practice, it begins to develop a momentum of its own. And connecting and sustaining, they're, they're just not needed anymore. Mindfulness is present. And it's, it's kind of, it's driving the boat. <laughs> the, the effort that we make to stay present, it develops into this kind of effortless energy fueling our mindfulness. Sometimes it feels kind of magical when that happens. I can feel it in energetically in my practice when that suddenly there's like a shift and I don't need to do anything. 
but I can still feel there's an energy in the practice that's keeping me connected. It's a really wonderful feeling. It's like finding the current in a canoe that's going downstream. You know, once we're in the current, we can let go of the paddling and the current will carry us. We might need to stick the paddle in just like a rudder, just to, you know, steer a little bit left or a little bit right. But we don't need to actually paddle anymore. And we need to develop a, we need to develop a sense of how much effort is needed in, under different conditions. Conditions are always changing and different amounts of effort are always needed. And speaking about this, the, the Buddha used a metaphor that probably you've heard um, before many times. It's a very famous story about tuning the strings of a lute. You know, if we want to make music, the strings need to be not too tight and not too loose. They need to be in tune. And developing the sense of when our effort is in tune, like the strings of a musical instrument, it's really important in practice. And sometimes we have to retune, you know, we turn those pegs a little bit. For me, sometimes it's, it's like, a, it's kind of like a dance because it's not always obvious how much effort is needed. We have to kind of experiment a little bit. We get out of tune in one way or the other, perhaps getting kind of tight and constricted in the mind or in the body. That's really a sign that there's tension in the mind. We can sometimes give ourselves a headache when we make too much effort. And that's pretty clear. When there's, when there's a headache from practice that we're probably making too much effort. But sometimes we go in the other direction, you know, just loosening the strings into kind of a uh, vagueness, the sleepiness, fogginess. And as time goes on in our practice, we just develop more sensitivity. We're able to catch ourselves uh, more quickly when we get out of balance. We're able to retune our energy more easily. And uh, we all need to, to make the, uh, uh, the initial effort to connect and to uh, stay connected. We have to paddle that canoe to get started. But in addition to the initial effort that we all make to connect and sustain, there are conditions that show up uh, sometimes or maybe they show up really often, <laughs> they show up for sure, that can let us know that we need to like up the energy level to start paddling that canoe again for a little while. If the mind is uh, distracted, agitated, if it doesn't want to settle like a puppy, then we need to make more effort to stay. You know, that might seem kind of obvious. But it can be tempted, tempting to just get frustrated and want to give up, think, oh, it's just not, you know, this isn't working. I'm just going to go do something else. Don't give up. Don't give up. We have tools to help us regain a steady focus. Um, we can count our breaths. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Inez uh, mentioned breath counting uh, uh, the other day. Um, I can't remember if it was yesterday or today, actually. Time gets kind of telescoped. Um, I have a mind that it takes time to settle in meditation quite often. And counting my, my breaths is kind of a, it's my go-to uh, in practice when my mind uh, 
just wants to go chase its tail or something. So the way I do it is to very quietly, very quietly in the mind count from one to 11, not to 10, one to 11, counting on each out breath. And then I count backwards back down to one. And, and the reason I do it in, in both directions is that it, it helps, uh, it helps my mind to, uh, to keep from, from the, the counting from being coming rote, you know, how it can become just a rote activity. But when I go back and, and forth like this, up and down, it keeps me uh, more connected to the actual experience of breathing. So we can use counting. We can also use mental noting, again, very quietly in the mind, just whispering in, out with each in-breath and out-breath, or rising and falling with the expansion and contraction of the chest and belly. And counting and noting, they, they both help connect and sustain the attention on the sensations of breathing. And every time we consciously do this, it's like a a paddle stroke in that canoe. It just provides a little bit more momentum. It steadies our attention, steadies our attention. And relaxing the body is also a way of relaxing the mind when it's it's tense. It it often has, uh, you know, there's a connection between the body and the mind. And relaxing the body can, uh, can definitely... Uh, Give some ease to the mental tension as well. And then the same tools that we use when we're distracted and uh, tense can also be helpful if the mind is lethargic, if it's sleepy. So counting and noting both of those, the effort that they take can actually bring more energy into the body and the mind. Uh, Sometimes we get bored um, with, uh, with our mindfulness of breathing and our and our attention can get kind of vague it isn't clear um and when that happens we can cultivate interest in the breath interest in whatever object that uh we're we're attending to becoming curious about the sensations that arise becoming curious about what's going on because energy follows interest when we become interested in something Energy just naturally follows along. We can stand up. Standing meditation is completely legitimate. It's a lovely form of meditation. We can open our eyes. We can breathe in a way that brings energy, really accentuating the in-breath. We can do walking practice instead of sitting. We have these tools, you know, to keep us, help us keep balanced. We just need to remember to use them. Sometimes that's the hard part remembering to use them. And as our effort to, uh, to connect and sustain strengthens our mindfulness and continuity begins to develop, then we start to recognize the signs of this other faculty that I want to talk about, uh, concentration, samadhi. We can see it beginning to develop in the mind. So what is this samadhi? What is it? We usually translate it as concentration. That's the kind of typical translation you'll hear in in the insight tradition. 
But in English, when we use that word concentration, what we're often what we're pointing to is a state of mind that's the narrowly focused and and sometimes kind of tight. You know, it's not relaxed. And samadhi samadhi can be like that. But I think it's much more beneficial when there's ease and tranquility present. There's this balance, alert and relaxed. You know that we often point to. If we really strain, boring into the breath with our attention, trying to build samadhi, often what we end up building is a headache. Um, it's uh, what's much more useful is a composure that that collects the attention around the object of meditation in a really easeful and often delightful way. <clears throat> Samadhi is uh, experienced as a, a very satisfying uh, kind of composure or unification in both the body and the mind. And in the Buddhist suttas, um, metaphors describing really satisfying physical experience are very often used uh, to describe samadhi. There can be a sense of being suffused with delight. There's an image of a a cool uh, underwater spring that is continually filling a lake, continually filling it. And, uh, you know, just the sense of that. And then another image used in the text is the way it feels to uh, to finally have a long drink of water after you've been walking in the desert for a long time. That sense of, of contentment, of satisfaction, being filled with something wholesome and healing that comes through in those in those metaphors. <clears throat> And I believe, uh, you know, a version of this uh, kind of composure, composure of mind is, is something that we're familiar with in daily life activities as well. I think we've all experienced um, our awareness coming together in a kind of a focused, unified, and often pleasant way. Maybe reading a novel or watching a film and getting really absorbed in the story and the characters to the extent that maybe we don't hear when someone calls our name or if the phone rings or something. Or in sports, you know, so many athletes talk about being in this kind of state, you know, in many different uh, athletic uh, endeavors, uh, running, swimming, skiing, even paddling a canoe, I think. We talk sometimes about being in the zone. And, you know, I think that's a kind of description of this kind of composure of mind. As we get into a rhythm with the exercise and we get absorbed in the sensations of the bodily movements and the rhythm of the breathing, this kind of composure can arise. And uh, it's like an effortless unification of mind and body in the activity. And it's so satisfying, you know, you've experienced it, you know. I sometimes make uh, glass uh, tile mosaics love to do it. And uh, and when I begin to work, there's uh, there's always a lot of effort, a lot of mindfulness that I have to bring to the to the initial stages of the process. Sometimes I follow a pattern, sometimes I have a design in mind, but uh, usually my mosaics are they're pretty free form and I approach them kind of intuitively. But still, at first, I I have to make effort, like looking for the right pieces, you know, of glass tile, the pieces that seem to fit in a way that just is pleasing to the eye. 
And I consciously choose colors for their effect to be compatible, to be compatible, you know, or to be uh, surprising, maybe even shocking. And all kinds of choices like that I make consciously in the beginning are part of the process. Shapes, colors, sizes, what to, where to cut, where to go next. And um, so there are all these considerations to keep track of, to make decisions about, to be mindful of. And then at some point, things just, they just shift and the effort lets go. And it feels as if I stop making decisions and the, the mosaic just starts making itself. <laughs> it's like, it's a, there's a, it's being in the flow, you know, it's being in the zone. There's uh, my hands, my eyes, and my mind are all kind of working in concert. Um, and it becomes really easy. And the design sort of starts to make itself. My mind feels quite still. It's really absorbed. And outside sounds don't intrude, just like uh, when, when there's really deep absorption in a book or a film or something. It's really delightful. And I think it's really similar to how samadhi uh, feels as it's developing. First, we make this effort needed to stay with our object. We connect and sustain our attention. And then after a time, our attention begins to stay with the object of our meditation. And we no longer need to make that effort. The connecting and sustaining, they drop away. And we're carried by the current of the stream of our practice. There's a kind of energy that develops, and then the meditation seems to do itself, just in the same way that I have that sense about uh, my mosaic making. Samadhi uh, brings strength and clarity of focus to the mind. As it strengthens the hindrances, Sure, most of you are familiar with the hindrances, the five hindrances, sensual desire, ill will, sleepiness and torpor, (laughs) restlessness and doubt. Um, These five really common obstructive energies that distract the mind and keep us from seeing clearly. Those five are, are held at bay. They don't affect us. Just that in itself is really a delight. And then as samadhi gets stronger, still the the attention becomes wrapped. It becomes absorbed, captivated by what we're attending to. And a mind like this is uh, described in the suttas as malleable and wieldy. It has a softness and a flexibility. It's also, it's a good tool. It's wieldy. It can be used. And then a beautiful equanimity can begin to arise. And descriptions of a mind in this state um, call it imperturbable. It can't be disturbed. It's a state of mind in which deep insight, wisdom, that is, can arise. Inez uh, spoke beautifully last night about liberating wisdom, seeing the truth of impermanence, that everything is moving, nothing is static. There's nothing to hold on to here, including our ourselves that we make up and seeing how when we try to hold on demanding that things stay still there's there's dukkha there's suffering and this is the wisdom that allows us to let go of clinging 
if nothing lasts, why bother to cling? Good question to keep asking ourselves, I think. So as we practice mindfulness, connecting and sustaining our attention on the object of our meditation, continuity of mindfulness develops. And then continuity is the fuel for the development of uh, of samadhi. Uh, one sutta um, describes the interplay of these these uh, these three together as uh, similar to a great bird, uh, like an eagle that's uh, taking flight. You know, first the eagle must make a lot of effort, really flapping its wings in order to lift itself off the ground because they have heavy bodies compared to other birds. <laughs> And then it has to continue to beat its wings to lift itself up off the earth, to get up into the sky. And then there's an ease that comes with soaring, with the wings steady, the body stable and composed. And there are ways to help this development along. If you're practicing breath meditation, just tuning into any pleasure that you feel and the sensations of the breath can help the samadhi to build, can help the satisfaction to build that it is really conducive to the development of samadhi. Inviting any hints of calm or serenity that are present in your meditation, inviting them to expand, to grow, to be known really clearly. Remembering to relax tensions, to find ease, if you can, in the body. And uh, also there's a putting a little bit of a smile on your face, just a, uh, just a little hint of a smile. Um, it kind of it has an effect on the mind. And as composure uh, of mind develops, less effort uh, is needed. And then... Remember, there is balance that needs to be uh, needs to be kept. So, as as samadhi uh, strengthens, as a concentration builds, if if mindfulness is weak, then uh, samadhi can kind of morph into a, a kind of a dreamy, vague sort of uh, pleasant state. What we sometimes call sinking mind. Sinking mind. It's calming, you know, for the mind to be relatively still instead of jumping from one subject to another. So I think maybe the mind thinks, well, we're not doing anything here. Might as well just zone out. And zoning out is not the same thing as being in the zone. It's different, you know. It can be very pleasant, but it's not a path to wisdom. It's not a path to freedom. Might even end up falling asleep or or just stuck kind of in boredom and dullness. So many of our minds are just, you're used to having a lot of things to chew on, just so used to that, that when there's, uh, when calm arises, they think, oh, it's just time to take a nap now, just to stop, stop being uh, attentive. So when we notice this kind of dullness or dreaminess uh, in our, in our practice, we can bring more effort, more energy into the practice, maybe uh, counting breaths or noting, same as uh, we did for balancing the energy factor, or uh, maybe just strongly focusing on the connecting and sustaining uh, aspect of attending to the breath. 
increasing our interest, waking ourselves up. That's one side of the balance when there's a kind of uh, loss of energy, a kind of too much, uh, too much calm, more calm than is needed. And on the other side is finding our mental focus tight and constricted, you know, with a sense of straining at the practice, kind of pouncing on the sensations of each breath, drilling our attention, like drilling it into whatever's arising. And that's a sign that we're applying too much effort. It's, uh, and so we can just back off. We can relax a little bit. Might take a, a couple of long, slow, deep, easy breaths when we notice that that's happening. We can let the awareness be more receptive, you know, instead of kind of honing in on the breath, uh, looking from the control tower, as, as Gil often says. We can sort of lean back mentally and just allow the sensations to come to us in the same way we might kind of lie back on the grass in a park and uh, see the clouds over overhead and just allow the shapes of them to uh, to come to us. If we've been counting breaths or we've been noting and uh, and we notice that uh, the focus is is a little bit tight and there's a sense of straining, we can let go of those practices and take a more global view maybe of the breath just perhaps noticing how it's felt in the whole body. We can reconnect with our posture and releasing any tension that we feel anywhere where it's easy to release that tension, the shoulders, the chest, the belly, forehead and jaw. Often those are places where there's tension. And then just uh, uh, release any, any area in your body where you know mental, mental tension Uh, Mental effort is leading to tension. We learn really slowly, I think, but surely as we practice to to steer our our practice, (laughs) sometimes towards effort and sometimes towards calming, to make these like simple kind of course corrections when we veer into overstraining or we veer into dullness. We learn when to flap our wings and when soaring is actually possible, when to paddle and when to float. We learn to keep our mindfulness really bright and awake and at the same time relaxed and at ease. Bright and awake and relaxed and at ease. It's a big part of our practice, learning to balance these energies. And when we are in balance, Practice can flow really, really well. Mindfulness is then able to keep the other factors balanced. So each one is doing its part in the practice, helping us move toward a wise mind and a kind heart, toward uh, letting go of habits that lead away from those, that lead us into, into dukkha, into stress. So I'll go back to the image of a cart. You know, there's that cart with four wheels, confidence, energy, samadhi, and wisdom. And then there's the driver, mindfulness. And we learn to work skillfully with each one of those four wheels before we attach them to the axles of the cart. And then when we feel like we have a good grasp of how they work, how they work within us, then we put our mindfulness in the driver's seat 
And that mindfulness then can keep the cart well balanced. It can keep it moving forward steadily, you know, maybe correcting when it swerves a bit this way, it swerves a bit that way. In the direction, onward toward freedom, toward the end of clinging. It's a beautiful process. And it's what we're engaged in. So let's just uh, let's just sit for a moment and and just let the words kind of settle away. Thank you very much for your attention.